from CNU 23 in Dallas, this is the Strong Towns Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Strong Towns Podcast. We're live at CNU 23, and one of the top guys on my list to chat with at CNU is always Steve Mozan. Steve, welcome back to the Strong Towns Podcast. Thank you, great to be here. I think this is your third time actually being on the Strong Towns Podcast. I think that that may, I don't know if that makes you the record holder, but it might be tied for the record. <laughs> well, cool. Well, I'm delighted and honored to be here. So. <laughs> well, it's nice to chat with you. you I, I know you're working on a new project. Uh, you've got the original green book. You've, uh, you have a bunch of books before that, but the ones that I've delved into, the original green book, the book you wrote on communications. Right. And, and now you're working on something new, of course. Right. Can you talk a little bit about that and a little bit about what you're working on? Yeah, it's an idea that for, that for several years I called, uh, pedestrian propulsion. And it was the, the, the notion that, uh, in a certain uh, set of context, you're going to walk further than you would in another set of context. And it's, in other words, the, the quarter mile radius that we all talk about is actually a bit of a myth. Now, right, problem, right. That, that like nice concentric circle of, exactly. of walkable, right. Right. And, you know, because you can take somebody from here in Dallas. People say that people in Dallas don't walk at all, right? You know, and, and, but you can take a person from Dallas. Drop them into Paris and they'll walk for two miles. Right. You can take a person from Paris uh, and you can drop them into a strip center and they walk only from their car to the to the shop and back and that's it. <laughs> right. You know? Right. And they'll wait five minutes for somebody to pull out of a, a parking space that this uh, four space is closer, not because they're just uh, terribly lazy, but because the walking experience is so dreadful. Right. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. So so how are you how are you assembling this? I mean, is this, is this gonna, cause I, I, I picture your, I don't know how you sit down and write, but I, I picture you, for me, when I write, I write a whole bunch and then I try to find pictures. And I almost feel like when I read your stuff, it's the opposite, like you find the picture and then you tell the story. Um, you know, it, it's kind of funny. I, I, um, a lot of people write far more organized than I do. Yeah. At the beginning of a book, I, I actually have no idea where it's going. I don't outline it or anything. I just start writing pieces of the story that I know to tell now. Yeah, yeah. And it's sort of like driving at night. You know, you can't see to the end of the road, but you can see to where your headlights are. Sure. And you drive to there, and then you can see further. And and so, uh, literally, when I begin a chapter, I don't know how the chapter's going to end. Right, right. And and the, But, yeah, on the pictures, um, you know, I'm, I'm a typical architect. We like pictures. And so my books are like almost half images. They are. You know, half beautiful. text, half images. Yeah. And... Uh, but yeah, I, I uh, sometimes there's an image, like for example, uh, on the in the Walkerville book, uh, there's this one fabulous image of uh, multimodal transport that is a, a woman on a bike, uh, in in a guy walking beside her with his with his hand on her butt. Oh, okay. <laughs> Just this fabulous picture, both both of them beautifully dressed and all this. It was right, in Italy, and, right? And uh, Anyhow, so that that's something that uh, I think I saw that picture. You, you, have you released that one somewhere? I have. Uh, I've used it a time or two yeah, in, I think in presentations. I've seen that. Yeah, and but so I know that picture is going to make it in the book somehow. So, so sometimes it starts with the picture, sometimes it starts with the story, and but but I have no no general rule of thumb as to how it works. How is the uh, 
the community, you had a communications, I want to call it a summit. I can't remember what you call it, last November. Yes. In celebration. Yeah. Um, I, I talked to some people that went to that. They said it was, it was great. They learned a lot. How is that whole strain of the, the Stimozan original green, uh, work going? You know, it's funny because, um, when I, when I came out with the original green book, uh, I was on the road for close to three years after that, yeah. doing speaking engagement after speaking engagement. That really resonated. And, but with this book, which I, I actually think there's some things in there that are highly useful, even to the, well, I'm, I'm not going to overprove no, it. But, no, no, yeah, go ahead. I, I mean, I, I think that it is a, just a real practical guide, especially for people who are not, um, well, let me, let me put it this way. I think people who are, Afraid of the community, like, I'm not a communications person. Right. For me, I'm an engineer. How do I do this stuff? It's a great guide. Sure. I also would say, though, for people who are communications people, right. <laughs> there's a lot to learn there as well. Um, you know, I think some of those guys get a little stuck in their ways too. And yeah. this is a good, it was a good, like, uh, here's kind of a broad palette of things to try. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the funny thing is the people that have actually, uh, read the book, absolutely love it. Yeah. And like even one person, uh, emailed me the other day and said, you know, this has become our marketing Bible. This is what we, this is, this guides everything that we do yeah. about putting ourselves out there. But the problem is with it being something about new media, I mean, there's so much stuff out there that, that, uh, most people don't ever pick it up. Sure, sure. You know, and, but the ones that do really appreciate it. So yeah, yeah. yeah I just want to Yeah, you're in a marketplace that's pretty saturated with that. I, I mean, yeah. to me, I think the, um, and maybe this isn't what you intended, but to me, the genius of it was, I almost felt like it was written for uh, our niche, in a sense. Oh, that's precisely what it was. Yeah. It's, it's for new media, for designers and builders. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's the second part of the title. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> because it, it was, I mean, it really, okay, we've got a mutual friend, John Anderson, who's going to be on the podcast tomorrow. Yeah. Um, John's a great guy. You, you wouldn't call him, He's he's a... A great personality has so many things to share, but you wouldn't call him like a naturally media savvy guy. Right. I look at this book as being like ideal for him because he has this great story to tell. Here's how to do it, schlub, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, and, and actually I've been haranguing him for so long because he has so many, he, he is just this fountain of great terms yeah. that he, that just really compelling stuff. Yeah. And so I've been haranguing him for years to start tweeting and blogging and he's finally started doing both. So yeah. I'm, I'm just really delighted with that. Actually, I am too. John the Bad, is that what John it's? John the Bad, yeah. <laughs> It's a crazy. As soon as I saw that, I thought, "Oh my gosh, this is going to be fun." Yeah, he earned Buckle that at the, yeah. at the Katrina charrette. Oh, okay. He oh, wasn't really? supposed to be there. There was another John Anderson from New Orleans that Andres had invited. Yeah. And somehow the word got out to him that he was invited, and and he showed up, and and uh, Andres said, "No, leave. You're not supposed to be here." <laughs> and and he said, "Well, I'm here now. What do you want me to do? Just uh, sit right. around and watch, or do you want me to work?" Right. And and so he said, "I'm going to call you John the Bad. He's John the Good. You're John the Bad." All right. So, anyhow, that's how it started. Awesome. But, I, I haven't heard that story. That's pretty fantastic. Yeah, it, it was fun. Um, I I I know you're doing some work, and for me, as someone who you know lives. <clears throat> Up near the Canadian border. Yeah. <laughs> and anything south where you guys are at is like a tropical paradise. Sure. When I hear the words like Belize, uh, Panama, uh, the Bahamas, I just, I immediately start to think, oh my gosh, Steve is, Steve <laughs> found some rich patron and he's down enjoying, you know, the good life. Talk a little bit about the couple of these projects that you're working on down there. Well, you know, there's some really cool stuff that we're doing that, that, you know, we've said for years, this should be able to be done. Yeah. This should work. 
Yeah, you know? yeah. And but we, <laughs> you know, but we got some this clients. being our great ideas. Yes, right? exactly. Yeah. And but we have some clients now that are actually letting us do it. Like the, the project in Belize, they built like oh, I don't know a hundred and hundred and something units already. Yeah. Uh, in the last uh, what year and a half, something like that. And these units are ones where uh, there is not one stitch of sheetrock. Uh, in the units, okay. not at all. Yeah. Uh, you know, because uh, sheetrock or drywall, as it's sometimes called, uh, remains a wall so long as you keep it dry. Right. But you know, right. you let it get wet, and it molds and mildews and all this kind of stuff, and turns right. into mush. Right. And so it's kind of a tropical climate. Yeah, uh, exactly. A little, little wet, a little damp. Times. Right. Yeah. And so we say we want houses to be able to open up and breathe. Right. You know, so that most of the time, you know, if you keep the radiant heat off. Yeah. Like with the reflective roof. Yeah. Then you actually can keep them comfortable. And, yeah. And so, but it was, it was so delightful to actually go down there about a year ago and I was, I was photographing, uh, the place in Belize. And, uh, the whole time I was there, uh, I never cut the air conditioner on. You know, it, it's great in theory, but yeah. how does it actually work? Yeah, can you, know? you actually do it? Yeah. Right. And, and there was one day that, it got up to like I knew it was going to get up to like ninety eight degrees. Okay, you know, and ninety eight, you know, it's it's just not comfortable. You, you don't have to tell me. I, yeah. <laughs> I think eighty five is uncomfortably hot. <laughs> yeah. Well, <clears throat> what I did, you know, of course, I left the I left the louvered windows open all night, and, yeah. and the, you know, it it cooled down nicely. And uh, then about ten o'clock that morning, when I knew it was going to get hot, yeah, I, I just simply shut the windows and cut on the ceiling fan, and it was it was totally comfortable. Yeah, you know, ceiling fan. Makes you feel comfortable ten degrees warmer than what you otherwise would in in dead air. Sure, you know? sure. And so, so it, it's it's really great to actually try something, and somebody spends money on your idea and it actually works. You know, yeah, I mean, it'd yeah. be a bad thing if it actually didn't work. Right, right. You know, how how, how about the um, how about the project you're working on in not the Panama the uh, Bahamas one? You you, know, you you said there's this huge. <laughs> it sounds like a big mistake somebody made. You know, it, it's. Uh, have you ever seen Rotunda West uh, near Naples, Florida? Uh, no. Does yeah. that does that mark me as uninformed in any way? Because well, I, I, I I put it this way: you be in the the. Uh, you would you would simply go nuts in Rotunda West. Uh, you know, really? talking about infrastructure uh, wasted this and all the, this. Okay, I gave a I gave a talk in Naples a couple years ago, and one of the people on the docket was this guy yeah. who who showed up and showed how they had. I mean, they had put in. I can't imagine how much money of infrastructure, right? And had all these lots laid out and all this stuff, and is and it was near Naples, right? I never saw it, but it was. Just looking at it, it was like this is oh my gosh, you're so in so much trouble. And their idea was to try to make these little investments at the intersections, and and I'm thinking you, you have hundreds of millions of dollars of pipe in the ground and 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 road built here, and you're going to put single family homes yeah. in the middle of nowhere. Oh yeah, it, like it's toast. Just walk away. But the next time you're down there, you must go out there and actually. Put your feet on the ground, okay. walk around because it is terrifying. Yeah. And the problem was, this, and this is this is I'm, as I'm describing it. That's kind of what it's like. That, that's yeah. that's what it's like. Oh, you know, okay. you'll you'll be standing there, and way off in the distance is a house over there. Way off in the distance is one over there, <laughs> one over there. You know, but it's like 95 percent of the lots are not built upon, and in if you don't mind me giving you a hard time on the engineering thing. No, go ahead. In good engineering fashion yeah you know th oh, th this very is a efficient. big circle oh yes, it's very efficient <laughs> big circle all the roads lead to the middle yeah now would you care to guess what's at the middle because Wanda and I wanted to see what's at the center of this big huge circle on the ground you know? well congestion because you can manufacture <clears throat> congestion out of nothing if you funnel everybody to one spot at the same time unless there's no one there to begin with and there's no one there but what, what's at the center 
is actually the sewage treatment plant. Oh, <laughs> what should be the city hall is the sewage treatment plant. <laughs> it's like an engineer's dream. Exactly, right? everything flows down like here. Everything's the you know you got the most important thing at the center. Exactly. It, you, you know, along those lines, it's really funny because in in my hometown of Brainerd, there's the. Uh, the sewage treatment plant is out on the edge of town, but they right. built a new subdivision right next to it. And, you know, you taught me the terminated vistas thing like a little yeah. over a decade ago. And I was blissfully unaware of this one until you told, you taught me this. Sure. And so the street is, is, a, is a very straight street. The ranch houses line up along it with the garages out front and they've right. got decorative lights and everything. It's really a badly, it's a terrible subdivision. Yeah. But the crazy thing is that at the end of the street, the terminated vista is the sewage treatment plant. <laughs> and, yeah. and I mean, it's like you walk out your front door and you look to the left and there it is in all its grandeur. Right. Sewage treatment. Right. And that's, <laughs> I'm thinking like this is the perfect subdivision for an engineer to live in. They, they would, they, they would love this. Yeah, it's beautiful. It, you know, it, it's, it complete efficiency. <laughs> but, uh, but anyhow, this place in the Bahamas and, and I probably shouldn't, talk about specifically where it is but you know yeah, just yeah. go to google earth but anyhow you'll you'll see but but it it literally is like rotunda west okay uh which is the most famous failed subdivision in the u.s but yeah but um what uh, in in both cases they were they were both built in the 1950s and 1960s have incredible amounts of infrastructure in the ground like the place in the bahamas they count that they they actually did a uh Evaluation of what they have in in today's dollars, and it was eleven billion dollars worth of infrastructure. Wow! That has been sitting there since the nineteen fifties and nineteen sixties. Wow! You know, so I don't know what it was about yeah, that yeah. era, but there, it, it apparently was a time of great hubris. Of yeah, we'll, there, build, right? we'll build everything. And wow! And you don't, you know, you you don't think of that kind of thing happening in a place like the Bahamas, right? You know, you don't, but it did. And, right. You know, the funny thing is, on the plot of land, I did a scale comparison. Yeah. So I took this piece of land, and I put on it, uh, I, I put Pienza, I put Seaside, I put uh, Hopetown, uh, Harbor Island. Yeah. Uh, I put, oh, and, and then it gets better, uh, bigger stuff. I put uh, the French Quarter. Uh, I put yeah. Charleston. I put, uh, uh, I, I put uh, what was it, uh, Florence. Yeah, uh, yeah. And I put Venice. Yeah. And all of those all together only took up about twenty uh, percent of the land. Me. I, no, oh my gosh! All together, all together, <laughs> and and so, I mean, there's no shadow of a doubt why the place never took off. They had never had any kind of of critical mass at all. Yeah, yeah. And and so there was this one there was this one piece that uh, one one segment of of what was built, and it's got canals around it and all wow. this. So, but this one piece was uh, uh, they had planned for eight lots. And when I replanned it, there was like 420. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's, it's, it's like the, it was just uh, many ranches or whatever. Right. Right. And so, um, oh my goodness. But this it, will be a place that I think we actually get to do the sky method for the first time. Cool. Very great. Which will be really cool. L let me ask you you, you live in South Beach. Right. Um, a very interesting culture <clears throat> in that part of Southern Florida, very influenced by, by Cuba in, in Cuban culture as well. Right. Um, I know you've been to Havana, right? And th that was a that was a fascinating experience for me to like you know surreptitiously see it through your eyes. Sure, uh, really fun. What 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 are things like now where you're at with kind of relations thawing between the U.S. and Cuba, and and do you see that having an impact on South Florida, on your life, on 
And in a broader sense, on, on the work that, that you do. You know, it, it's, a, it's a weird thing because there's, there's developers all over that are just salivating at the idea of getting into Cuba. Sure. Once it, once it opens up. And there's no shadow of a doubt. Well, there, there's no reasonable doubt that that's where things are headed now. Right, right. Um, and here's the problem. Uh, in the old city of the old Havana, yeah, uh, they are losing two to three buildings per week just to collapse because oh. these buildings have had no maintenance in fifty years. Right, you know, no no new roof or anything. I mean, it's just, it just they're just collapsing. Sure. And so, it would be so easy to come in there and take that that city, which is a is a world heritage site. Uh, uh-huh. It's as Andres Duani says, it's uh, Rome ninety miles from Key West. Yeah, you know, yeah, and and it it really is. And to it would be so easy to come in there and literally bulldoze the whole thing and put up a, a shopping mall. Urban renewal, the thing to death. Yes. Yeah. And so, in my mind, Cuba in general and uh, and Havana in particular is going to be the biggest uh, preservation challenge in human history. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, it's just nothing on this scale has has ever been attempted to be preserved before. Uh, and and again, you know, with with uh, with an economy that has so struggled for so long. The sight of dollars, it, it, you know, right? I no, mean, it, very it, enticing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, well, and if your place is falling <clears throat> down, uh, right? And someone will give you good money for it. Um, yeah, yeah. That's. I mean, you can you can see on an individual level the enticement. Yes. There. Well, you know, it, it, it's funny because uh, when we had the CNU in Austin several years ago, yeah. Um, after the after it was over on Sunday, I went walking around with some of the local host committee, and the one guy took me to. Uh, to this neighborhood that he said was about to to flip and become high rises and stuff. Yeah. And as we were walking down the street, and you know, several of us, and we were fairly well dressed and all that, people kept coming out of their houses and saying, "Are you buyers? Are you? Yeah. You know, <laughs> well, I mean, they, they couldn't wait to to make a few million dollars. Right. And, and right. so, you know, I mean, and, and who are we to say that they can't sell? Right. You know. Right. And, and it, it's like, I mean, you keep, you know, and so when that when that economic Condition exists. Yeah. It's very, very hard to to uh, keep the current condition, even if the current condition is world class. Right. What, what is the what, okay? You, you know, you and I are market realists uh, as well as dreamers at times. Exactly. How, what is the what is the approach that you would take in a in, in a place? And let's not even say Havana. Let's let's say in Austin. Sure. You know, how do you, how do you start to, I mean, I have my ideas, but I'm interested in you, you know, how do you deal with the fact that someone can, you know, we've set up a system right now where someone's going to make $2 million on a house that 10 years ago, they, they paid a tiny fraction of that for, but the market right now is, is doing that yet. There's all these people who can't afford to live there and there's huge congestion problems and, and that are created by all the stuff built out on the edge. You know, what do you, what do you, how do you start to approach a situation like that? Well, you know, it, it's a, the, the whole problem comes in when you make the huge scale leap, when you, yeah. when you bulldoze a bungalow and put up a tower. Yeah. You know, and, and when, when the numbers are there for that, it's hard to do anything but, I think. But I'll, I'll say this, uh, Pienza, Italy, yeah. uh, it was, it's, it's a world heritage site as well. And, uh, it sits, it sits on 11 acres. Yeah. And, but this incredibly beautiful place. But the interesting thing is, that was once a, a large lot Roman subdivision. It literally was one acre lots. Sure. And sure. over 2,000 years, uh, through 
uh, an incredible number of little incremental resubdivisions of each of the lots, it actually has become a, a, a fabulous city. A beautiful place. It, it really has. And so the, the key is, if you can come up with some kind of an economic dynamic that allows you to do the the resubdivision again and again, and even to the point that the original building might get completely encased in in architecture, that so you can't even see the exterior of the original building anymore, but you see the interior, or whatever. You know, you walk right. through those rooms, right? Uh, you know, so that somehow that it's an, an accretion as opposed to a removal. Now, I, I you taught me years ago, and and you you were one of the people who helped me really fully grasp the incremental. And, and it's it's become the, the the basic building block of what we talk about at Strong Towns is right. the incremental. There's a lot of people who, because of the way we finance, and you mentioned Rotunda West, right. you know, because of the way we finance this stuff, it's really hard sometimes to work in very small increments. You've been doing this a long time, and you've been studying this a long time. Is this where our economy is headed? Is this like the natural response to? Austerity or, or or difficult times is to go back to that that incremental. Well, you know that that it most certainly is, and and as a matter of fact, that's how that's how urbanism has developed for almost all of human history. The, yeah. the ability to come in and just plop down a town at climax condition at the beginning, seeing the end from the beginning, right. has been a luxury that uh, a hideous luxury. Yeah, <laughs> that, yeah. that um, modernity that has had. allowed us to right exactly, but yeah. that we haven't had for. For almost all of our history, and and so, um, I really am highly optimistic about. You know, people say, "Oh, it's terrible that this is a a more austere time. We can't afford what we once did." I say, "Thank goodness, right?" You know, because we actually get places we love much more and preserve much longer doing it the other way. As a matter of fact, some of the great charm of of the old American houses is the fact they were added on to by several generations. Right. You know, it wasn't just the original house plopped down. Yeah, the, the the farmhouse we moved into as a kid was that way. It right. had we when we actually tore it down. Um, you know, we had every all these different additions right. had different insulation. Right. One one was sawdust, yeah. <laughs> and and a couple of them were rolled up newspapers, and you could sure. actually like pull the newspapers back <laughs> and see read the, the you read the, you know 1942 right. but it was when they built the porch, right? And and you actually got a sense of you know when this house was was stitched together. Sure, uh, it was kind of like archaeology, you know, as we uh, kind of slowly you know rebuilt the thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's great, but no, it 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 literally is is uh, it's not only uh, a much more frugal thing to do, yeah, but it creates a much more lovable condition as well, right? You know, the right. many hands over time, yeah, and and so yeah, I hope that's where we're headed because it it just produces places that are so much better. Can I ask you a a, a personal question? Sure. Um. Yeah, you say sure, but may you know you can say no if we go. You you uh have. Your 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 mother passed away. My father. My, your father passed right. away recently, and your mother did not too long ago. Well, she's she's still living. Oh, she's I'm sorry. A, your mother's still living, but she's had Alzheimer's for like 15 years. I, so. I, I I've been I've been following the thread of you, basically piecing through the, a, a lot of their belong a lot of their lives, right. basically. And there's a certain um, beauty that I've distilled from that uh, on the relationships we have with people. Right. And it's one of the things that I, I really, you know, I, I like about your writing too, is that it, it's not just architecture it crosses over into people. I don't know if you want to say something just about the experience you've had over the last six to six to nine months in, in doing this, which is something yeah. everybody goes through at some point. You know, it, it was such a, um, 
was such an amazing thing. I went up to uh, to Ohio, Oberlin, Ohio. Oberlin, right. And uh, my dad uh, had a storage unit there, and and so I was going with a cousin who wanted to take some of the stuff. Uh, my dad was a a, a a kind of a self-appointed historian, and he, he had yeah. all kinds of great material that he'd been collecting for years. Um, and my my cousin wanted to to have that, and so we were separating it out. And then I spent the uh, the rest of the weekend uh, myself just going through a lot of, well, I mean, all his belongings, the the, the remains of his life, right, and, right, um, to see what people have treasured and kept for thirty or forty or fifty years that you had no idea, yeah, meant a lot to them. It it was really an amazing experience. I I, I just, um, I, you know, I, I could talk for more than the length of the podcast about that and so probably shouldn't do that but it it just it it was it was uh incredibly sad yeah i actually had a hard time dealing with it quite frankly right no i i I realized that yeah yeah. but it was i wouldn't have traded the experience for anything i just think there's this realization and you know maybe i maybe i get this a little more now that my kids are getting older and you see like the cycle of life you know taking place in front of your eyes but you, you know you realize that at the end of the day when you when you when you measure up a person's life like that, right. you realize what was most important, and it wasn't a lot of the things that we get caught up in doing, you know. Exactly. And, and I just I, I thought it was a I, I've a, I've appreciated how uh, and I don't want to say open, but how how generous you've been with some of your thoughts during during that. Well, you know, here's 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 it. it really, at its core, it's this. Um, this is going to sound sappy, so here's a no, sappy go, warning. No, go for but, it. Or, uh, there is nothing on earth that gives me more pleasure than encouraging someone else. Yeah. And so if if I'm going through something that is uh, unique in some way, remarkable, uh, difficult, whatever. Sure. Uh, if I keep it to myself, then, it, you know, that's all the further it goes. But if, if, you, if you put it out there uh, and it... it it helps someone else, then right. that's a better thing than keeping it to yourself. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, all the way around. All, all the way around. Yeah, it, it really is. And the other thing too, and then you know what you'll find is that people will come back to you. It's like it's like blogging and getting the comments, sort of like that. That people will come back and say, well, you know, how about this? Or that you know they'll have something from their experiences helpful to you. So it's not just you helping them. It it, it actually works both ways. I, I had someone come up to me today and and refer to a piece I wrote I, it, like two years ago. Sure. And I'm like, okay, I kind of remember that, but yeah. it meant something to them, right? Right. right? Yeah. And yeah, I think that's the that's the um, that's the rewarding thing that I get. Right. You know, and I know you you get to. Well, yeah, and if people will come up to me and they'll talk about something that I quite frank uh, frankly. Don't remember all the details of what I wrote, yeah. but it's been something they've referred to enough that they actually do. Right, and you know, and that's what you should hope for. Really, is is to put something out that's useful enough that even if you forget it, that it still remains useful. You know? <laughs> right, because we will forget it. Right. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, Steve Mozan, thank you so much for your time. It's wonderful always to chat with you, and uh, you're one of my. Um, I, you know, I, I don't want to say you're a mentor because that makes you sound older than you are, but you're a. <laughs> You're one of the guys that I, I look up to, so thanks so much. Well, let me say this just real briefly, and, and, and that is that, that I, I continue to be awed by how steady you are 
at, at putting great <laughs> material out there. I, I do it in bursts, but you do it as part of your everyday life, and, and that is a highly appreciated thing. just want you to know that. It's, uh, it's more therapy than anything else. <laughs> <laughs> hey, for whatever reason, you know. So, anyhow, thank you. Uh, thanks so much. Take care. that America's one big pothole right now. Bill, 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 Bill. That's a story. Chuck Marone, this has been fascinating. Who made the city? I like you. I like your vision of the, of the world. The United Nations Earth Summit, Agenda 21. Yeah.